2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 11. And we're just going to read three portions of scripture. Then said Ziba unto the king, who's the king at this time? It's King David. According to all that my lord the king hath commanded his servants, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, saith the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. Somebody say one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was, I think it's pronounced, Micah, and all that dwelled in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. Verse 13, so Mephibosheth dwelled in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table and was lame on both his feet. If I could entitle this anything, I would call it this. Come to the king's table. Come to the king's table. Come to the king's table. If you can, put your Bibles down and let's pray and ask that God would speak to us tonight. Lord, thank you for your presence, God, that we felt already. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would continuously move, Lord God, in this building. Speak to our hearts. God, speak directly. Because God, you know who, who's exactly here and what they need to hear. And Lord God, I pray that this word would encourage somebody, would strengthen somebody, and also at the same time put somebody on a path, a trajectory to get out of what they were and to start walking in what you have for them. Somebody say in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you can be seated. I need four volunteers. Jeffrey Coy, don't sit down. Come right on up here. I need you, Jeffrey Coy. Uh, yeah, come on up here real quick. Uh, come on up here, Roy. Roy, uh, come on. Campbell, I need you. Come on up here. That's three. I need at least one more person. One more person. Uh, uh, <laughs> come on up here, preach. Come on. All right. Well, I need you. I need you to sit or actually just sit on the ground over here. Okay? He's like, Brother Matthews, what are you having me to do? Just right here. Right here where everybody can see you. I need, I need you. You're going to sit in the middle. I need you two to sit on the sides. Okay? So I got, yeah, you two guys, yep, sit right there in the middle. And Jeff, yep. And so, Roy, I've got something very special. I need you. Over here. Over, over here. All right, got you. Got but the coy. I got something. Does this fit his head? Hopefully it does. Man, I got this specially made for you. All right, Sister Madison Anderson made that. Give that up for Madison right now. <laughs> there we go. So I tell you, growing up, it was not fair. I'm going to tell you, there's, there was an older brother and a younger sister. You know my younger sister, Leah Matthews. And I'm going to tell you, being the middle child is not fair. If you're a middle child, raise your hand. You know exactly how I feel. You've heard this iconic statement. You're too old to be doing that, right? And then in the same breath, your mother could turn around to you and say, uh, you are too young to be acting like that. And she gives you that, that look, right? And so, growing up as the middle child, it was not fair at all. I remember one time, you know, with my older brother, I was the youngest, well, the middle child, and my brother was older than me, my brother LaVon. And 
My mom said, you are too young to go outside and hang out by yourself. And so what my mom did was my mom gave my brother the charge to say, you need to watch your brother and your brother needs to be your shadow. So everywhere my brother went to, I had to be there. No, even though my friends, they were off somewhere else, I, I had to stick with my other, older brother. He wanted to go to the basketball court. I didn't want to go there all the time. He wanted to go to the rec center. Didn't want to go there all the time. Why? Because over there, my friends were having fun, and I was stuck with my older brother. Somebody say, life is not fair. I remember when I got to that certain age, right at about 11 or 12, I began to get, I was older then, when my mom was like, you know what, you can, uh, I got a smile over there. You, you know what I'm talking about. You're old enough to, you know, to go hang out but not just hang out by yourself. I need you to go watch your younger sister. I'm a guy. I didn't like to play Barbies. And my mom said, you need to watch your sister and play with your sister. I didn't like, back in the day, for you young people, you may not know exactly what this is, but some of you older generation, you remember what a cabbage patch was. I'm going to tell you, I, w- I-, I learned to braid hair on a cabbage patch. Why? It's because my mama told me, you are way too old. You know, you need to go and watch your sister. And so my sister tagged along and went everywhere where I went. I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't, get, I couldn't get by with anything. Why? Because she was with me. Life was not fair. Somebody say life isn't fair. But tonight I'm not talking about that type of fairness, meaning your mom is saying you have to, uh, fellas, you have to go watch your sister. Or you can't go anywhere, you know, you have to tag along with your older brother. I'm not talking about that type. But I'm talking about how life isn't fair sometimes when somebody above you, whether if it's a grandparent or a parent, a mom or dad, makes a decision that causes you to be affected. Sometimes in life, if we're not careful, young people, that the people over top of us, our moms, our dads, and our grandmas and grandpas, they can make certain decisions and do certain things which causes us to be affected in our lives. And that's what happened with Mephibosheth. He had a grandfather named Saul. Somebody say Saul. Saul decided two times not to follow the words of God. The first time he was told, you know, the, the protocol was you need to wait for the man of God to come and sacrifice. And then from there, you can go to battle. What did Saul do? Saul got impatient. And he did not wait for the process and the plans of God. And what did he do? Because he saw, you know, the people were getting kind of scared. He begins to go and he begins to do the sacrifice himself. And the next thing was this, is another time he decided not to listen to the voice of God but through the man of God. And he begins to keep all of the good things. And he begins to keep the king alive when he was supposed to slay everything in the land. A decision that caused Saul life to come to an end. But here's the thing, moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas, it not only affected Saul, but it turned around and affected his son. And it not only affected his son, but it trickled all the way down to his grandson, Mephibosheth. 
I'm going to tell you, moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas, what we have to continue to do is we have to try our best, amen, to follow after the word and the will of God, amen? Why? Because if we're not careful, it can affect our children and our decisions can affect our grandchildren. And that's what took place in Mephibosheth's life. The scripture said, you can stand up now. Ooh, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, stand up, Grady. I'm going to see if I got this one tonight. <clears throat> I haven't lifted weights in probably about a few months. But the scripture said that Mephibosheth was about five years old in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 44. And, and from there, as he was five years old, the word had come back to the kingdom that Saul was dead and also his sons were dead also. And in that panic, all of a sudden, I can imagine in my mind, it's total chaos. Everybody's running around. Why? It's because they understand one thing. When a king is dead and a king is conquered, the new king comes in and wipes out the seed royal. Meaning, all the king's children and all the king's descendants, especially the males, they're all in trouble. And so what happened was, there was a nurse, the scripture said, that was entrusted to take care of young Mephibosheth. This nurse was so entrusted that she was, she was able to, how can I say, able to touch him, able to carry him, meaning she had the responsibility to take care of all of his needs. She had the responsibility to feed him. Probably, Mephibosheth probably looked up to that nurse. Why? Because she took care of him. But it was that same Oh, man. Whew. Brother, you're no longer that same age and that same weight when you're in kids' church. <laughs> Brother, you put on some muscle. Did your dad know you put on some muscle? I bet you he does. And so from there, the nurse, she picks the five-year-old Mephibosheth up. And if you can see it in your mind, she begins, I am not going to run. <laughs> but she begins to run. Don't laugh at me, Brother Fridley. I see you out there. Don't even ask me to go, you know, play, play, play that game. I'm not doing it right now, but I'm, anyway. She begins to run, and what does she do? She trips and falls. But she not only fell herself, the one that she was holding fell also. Go ahead, sit down. She not only fell herself, you can stay right there, sit down. But the one that she was carrying, the next generation, fell also. The scripture doesn't say what happened to her exactly, but it does mention what happened to that youth. The scripture talks about that that fall or that hurt was something that lasted him a lifetime. Meaning this young man was broken he was lame on his feet for the rest of his life. But if you and I begin to search the scripture and we go to 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 8, we will find out that it wasn't only his feet that were broken. Because he fell and he got hurt, his spirit was broken. How do we know that to be true? It's because when he stood in the presence of David, he called himself a dead dog. So what does that mean? Because of somebody else's decision and because of somebody else's fall, this young person right here not only was broken physically, 
but he was broken emotionally. And the way that when he looked through his lens through life, he began to look at things through a different lens, meaning he, was, he looked through a lens of negativity, and when he looked at himself, all he saw was something dead. But what he didn't understand was this, that there was a king that saw more than what he could see. The scripture doesn't stop there. All of a sudden, come on. I can't reach down and get you. You're way too, way too stocky, bro. The king talks, the scripture talks about that he didn't stay in the kingdom that day. Why? Is because they had to get him out. And so imagine this young man, this young prince who used to live in the palace, went from living in the palace to going to Lodabar. If you and I begin to search, research and find out what Lodabar is, the word Lodabar means no pasture, meaning it was a dry place, meaning it was a place where, how can I say, not, no real vegetation really grew. It was a place where he was probably lonely at times. Some folks, some researchers believe that the word Lodabar also means no words or no communication. Why? It's because he's cut off from his family. All of his family seem like they're gone. His dad is gone. You know, his grandfather is gone. And if you begin to search the scripture, you can't even find out where his mom is. So this young man is an orphan. And he is being raised by somebody else. Life just isn't fair sometimes. He's in Lodabar, and he's in this place where, you know, he's cut off from his family. And the scripture says he, he, when he left the kingdom, he arrived there at five years old. And if you and I begin to search the, the hub Bible, how can I say timeline, you will find out that he spent about eight or nine years in Lodabar. Now, the question is this. If he's about 13 or 14, how did he live? Who supplied his food? If you begin to research, you'll find out that Lodabar was like the ghetto. It was an impoverished place. It wasn't a place where you would go to, you know, look, this is fall break. I'm going to go relax out there on the beach. You know, this is full. I'm going to have general conference right here in Lodabar. It wasn't a place where you just sat back and kicked your, I'm not going to kick your foot up. Take your shoes off, relax. You know how some of y'all want to do that right now? You're like, oh my word, I want to go to general conference right now to go to. It wasn't one of those places. It was impoverished. So the question is, how did he survive? No one really knows. Was he a beggar? Was he a beggar? Did he find this spot out on the street? I, I don't know. If he, if he was a beggar and he had to go out on the street, there were two ways that he would make his way out there. Number one, he would either drag his carcass out to the place where he needed to be or somebody would have to pick him up. And carry him back to that spot every day. Hold on for a second. Didn't the first time somebody picked him up, they dropped him? So imagine in life, there were probably multiple people that picked him up in life, but have you ever experienced something one time and then all of a sudden, every other time it made you flinch? Like driving in a car and getting into an accident, right? 
How many of you guys have ever been in an accident? Raise your hand. And then right after that, you're always flinching and you're always looking around and always trying to look around the corner to, to make sure you're not being hit, right? Now, can you imagine this young man every time somebody went to go pick him up? Somebody dropped me at five. But then somebody's here, somebody's coming to pick me up again. Are they going to drop me? Are they going to drop me this time? They didn't drop me. Whew, I'm safe. How about this one? Every time I come to church and, you know, I, I get a little close to God and, you know, maybe I'm new and, you know, in my past, my mom or my dad have dropped me and they've left me. You know, my home broke up as a kid and all of a sudden I'm, I come to the house of God and I, I feel God's presence and I'm, I'm getting a little close to the people of God, but I want people to get too close because I don't want them to drop me. I've had my mom drop me. I've, I've had people get close to me. I don't want them to drop me again. Oh, how about this one? I got married, you know, and everything was going well. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're trying to hop back out there again. And I got to be cautious, you know. I don't want to be dropped again. I don't want to be hurt in my relationship. I don't want to be hurt by a person that's close to me. And then what do we do? We live our lives with people at arm's length. Imagine that's what that young man felt in Lodabar. But one of the greatest things is this that I realized is this, saints. Even though you can be in Lodabar, even though you can be a place where you feel like it's dry, and even though you can be in a place where you feel like you're by yourself and you feel like everything is cut off, I always want to tell you, the king knows exactly how to get to you. I want to tell you, it doesn't matter how far you go. It doesn't matter where you are in life. It doesn't matter what you do in life. I want to encourage somebody and tell you that the king knows exactly how to get to where you are right now. I'm going to tell you, if you've darkened, you haven't darkened the doors of Calvary Tabernacle or any apostolic church in years, it's not a coincidence that you're here. Why? It's because the Lord knew exactly where you are and he was reaching for you. He's reaching for you and trying to bring you exactly to where he's at. He knows exactly where you are. Just like he knew exactly where Mephibosheth was. Mephibosheth, go ahead and sit down. The scripture said that he was in Lodabar. He's about 13 or 14 at this time. And then all of a sudden, if you and I begin to read 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1 through 5, all of a sudden the king turns around and says, I got to help somebody. I want to help the, the family of Saul. I want to help the family of Saul. Just get a little bit, get a little bit more. <laughs> not, not the Terminator style. I know, I, Roy, I know you're tough. I know you got biceps. Come on now. But I want to help the family of Saul. I want to help the family of Saul. I didn't know King David was the Terminator. <laughs> anyway, I better stop. Pastor, I'm sorry. Don't fire me. <laughs> but, but in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1 through 5, if you and I begin to read, we find out that David all of a sudden looks around. He has subdued all of his enemies. And he turns around and says, is there anybody left 
in the family of Saul. And he goes and he begins to, to send out somebody, you know, to go fetch somebody to find that information out. And he begins to bring this person. He says, is there anybody left? You know why? Because I want to show the kindness of God to them. And that messenger says, there's one. He says, there's one who's, who's in Lodabar. His name is Mephibosheth. He's there. And so from there, what does the king do? The king sends a messenger. He all of a sudden sends a messenger to Mephibosheth. And he says, Mephibosheth, the king wants to see you. Come on. I want to tell you, the king always has a message for somebody. He's always looking for somebody out there. He knows exactly where you're at, and he's constantly sending out the message to you, somehow trying to reach you, to try to get you to come to where he's at. And so finally, they carry him all the way to the king. You ready, king? I need you to stand up. The king looks at Mephibosheth. See, you're on the big screen, huh? Look, you might as well wave right now. This is the first time you get over the... <laughs> First and only time, there it is. Oh, hi, man. I better stop. But the king looks at Mephibosheth and says, I want to restore everything. Say it again. He wanted to restore everything that Saul had. All the land, all the stuff, and even all of this, his servants that begin to serve, how can I say serve in the house? He wanted to give all those things to Mephibosheth. Why? It's because the king knows exactly where you're at. And if you give the king a chance, he wants to restore you. He wants to restore your life. He wants to give you back those things at times that you feel like you have lost in your life. But the only way that can happen is this. You got to respond to the king. When the king begins to send a message out, whether if it's on a Wednesday, or if it's on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night, when you feel that unction of the Holy Ghost speaking to you and calling you and say, you know what, you need to come a little closer or you need to, you need to come out of Lodabar. You need to come out of that depressive state. Why? Because I've got some things for your life that I want to restore. There's some things in your life, if you give me a chance, the king is saying, I want to give those things back to you that you feel like you've lost. But he didn't even stop there. Go ahead and sit down, king. Do you realize if you and I begin to search the scripture, the scripture said that the king or King David three times in verses 7, verse 10, and verse 11, three times the king said, you know what? He said, you can come and sit at my table. He said the first time, in verse 7, he says, you can come sit at my table. But he said, you can sit at my table continuously. Meaning, it doesn't matter what you go through in life. It doesn't matter where you feel like how far you are. It doesn't matter whatever you go through in life. You can continually come to the king's table. 
want to tell somebody in this place tonight, it doesn't matter what you go through. It doesn't matter what you feel like or the dark space that you feel like you're in right now. The king tells you that you can come to him and in his, at his table, you can come and sit down continually. It doesn't matter if you're black. It doesn't matter if you're white. It doesn't matter if you're rich. It doesn't matter if you're poor. The king says, you can come to my table continuously. You can come to my table. In verse 10, what did he say? He said, you can come and eat bread always. Meaning he's like, I've always got the table spread for you. I've always got the table spread for you. For some of, for some of us, no, it's not a Big Mac. And, and no, it's not a chicken sandwich from, you know, from Chick-fil-A or anything like that. No, none of the sauce. It's not that. But what God's got at his table, he's got peace at his table. He's got rest at his table. He's got love at his table. He's got purpose at his table. He's got righteousness at his table. I'm going to tell you what you and I have to do. We got to just continue to come and eat from the master's table. Because all these things are at your access. It's at the master's table. And then the last thing he said was this in verse 11. He looked at him and said this. You can come and eat at my table like one of my sons. Not just like anybody, Gradient. You can come to the king's table and it doesn't matter whatever you go through because the king said you can come and eat at my table and you can come as one of my children, one of my sons. What was God doing that day? I'll tell you. He was telling broken Mephibosheth that, you know what? He says, I'll take you in. He said, I'll adopt you. When no one, it seems like no one else would take you, he said, me being your father, he said, I'll take you if you come. He was like, you know what? Other people may have looked down on you. You know, you may not have your mom and your dad in your life, but the king says this. He says, if you come to me and you come to my table, there's always a spot for you. There's always a place for you at my table. It doesn't matter what you may go through as a young person. It doesn't matter the things that you may fight in your life or the, the struggles that you may have or the mistakes that you made. God says, I always have a spot at my table for you. Why? It's because I'm going to treat you like one of my sons. I'm going to tell somebody, you know what, that's why we need to get the Holy Ghost. I'm going to tell you in this place tonight, if you don't have the Holy Ghost, the Bible says this, I believe Jesus said it like this. You know what, he says, the Spirit, you know, oh my word, I'm about to trip up over my own words. Let me calm down because I'm a little excited. It says, they that are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. If you want to know how to find yourself at God's table, you got to receive the Holy Ghost. Speaking with the evidence of other tongues. If you have not received that yet or if you have not experienced that in a long time, I'm going to tell you, that's for you even tonight. It's for you even when you go home. It's for you even when you're at your, you know, on your job and you find yourself that you're needing God and you got to go in the bathroom and you got to have a prayer meeting. And you got to talk to God. God can even feel you there. How do I know that to be true, Bella? I'm going to tell you. My aunt, a long time ago at 3 o'clock in the morning, when my mom had kept trying to witness to her over and over and over again, and she kicked against the pricks, she fought my mom, she said some colorful words, said, I'm not going to say in this place, but I'm going to tell you, at about 3 o'clock in the morning, all by herself, all of a sudden, the Almighty God showed up exactly 
exactly where she was at and filled her with the Holy Ghost speaking with the evidence of other tongues. You can't tell me that God only reserves that for this place. I'm going to tell somebody tonight that wherever you are at, if you are willing to yield yourself to Almighty God, God can fill you with his spirit. And what will he do? He will lead you each and every day. He wants to fill you, but not only fill you, but he wants to lead you. Somebody say, I got to have the Holy Ghost. And then the last thing is this. You got to be baptized in Jesus' name. Somebody say, I got to be baptized. Come on, look at the person right next to you and say, you got to be baptized. You know why? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you, when you go down in the waters of baptism, there's going to be a name that is proclaimed and spoken over your life. And that's the name of Jesus Christ. And you know, you know what's going to happen that day? It's not physically, but it's spiritually. What God will do that day is God will adopt you into his family. Why? It's because he's going to put his name all over your life. Amen? Somebody say, I, I got adopted. I'm going to tell you, I got two boys. Two boys. I'm not going to ask them to stand because I may, I may make them nervous a little bit. I got two boys, Isaiah and also Corbin. They're two of my greatest treasures in my life. I'm going to tell you, the day I will never forget, the day when we took Corbin to the courthouse and we signed the paperwork, Corbin was sitting in the judge's seat. <laughs> That's just Corbin. He sat right in the judge's seat and was like, gay man, that look like I'm in charge. <laughs> oh, heaven forbid, isn't it? Yes, I'm talking about you, buddy. Dad loved you. Oh, he popped his head back down. And I will never forget the other day when Isaiah got adopted. We were all at the nest. And some of us were there virtually. A whole lot of you were there virtually. And all of a sudden, the judge begins to proclaim that he is adopted. Do you know that day, even though they may not be my blood, but they bear my name. That's the name Matthews. And I'm going to tell you, I remember this one time, we were, we, it was here in the church, just before the church was, you know, beautified and everything, but it took place right over there. There was this other kid, an older kid who I'd never seen before. He was a guest, and all of a sudden, apparently, Corbin said something to him, just like how little brothers do, and all of a sudden, he, this kid pushed Corbin, and all of a sudden, I happened to turn my head, and I saw his big brother trying to stand up for him, and Isaiah at the time was about this short, and this kid was about this big. And I don't know, I, I forgot I was in church. I, I forgot I had the Holy Ghost and everything like that. And, but when I saw, when I saw Isaiah's head, you know, do one of those numbers and fall backwards, I didn't care who was in the room. I said, hey! And all of a sudden, that kid went like that, turned around, and I marched over. Because you know what? When you mess with one of them, he may not have the same skin color as me. But when you mess with Isaiah, I'm going to tell you, you know who you're going to get? But Lost, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Somebody mess with your baby. Somebody mess with your daughter. Somebody mess with your son. You know what the, what's going to happen, Brother Goddard? Bear comes out, doesn't it? Why? Because he's my son. He's my child, right, Brother Titus? And I'm going to do whatever it takes to protect my child. Whether they got my blood or not, I'm going to do whatever it takes to protect 
my boys. Why? It's because they belong to me. If Corbin comes up and says, Dad, I'm hungry, and my wife is not there, and I'm the only one there, you know what has to happen? I got to get myself up off the, off the couch, and I got to get himself, I got to get him something to eat. You know why? It's because he's my son. He's my responsibility. Tomorrow I got to take him. They don't, they don't even know this. I got to take him to the doctor. Why? Oh, I let the cat out of the bag. I'm sorry, Isaiah. I'm sorry, Corbin. Y'all got to go to the doctor tomorrow on fall break. I'm sorry. But you know who's going to be there? Me. Because they're my boys. And I want to make sure my boys are taken care of. When it comes to you, God believes and sees the same thing, Camden. If Big Daddy is not there, Camden, I'm going to tell you, you got a heavenly father that's always watching out for you. He knows exactly where you're at. And when you need him, all you got to do is just throw up your hands and say, Jesus, Lord God, I, I, I need you. I will never forget. Never forget, I'm sorry, for, forgive me of my story, I, but I remember one time I was in when I worked for the sheriff's department, and I was riding in the sheriff's department's cruiser that they let me have, and we had just come from a morning service, and I was trying to, you know, go on 65, trying to, you know, go home and, you know, come down that, that overpass, and as I began to come down, I didn't realize that it was kind of icy right there. And I remember being in the car, I had Isaiah, and at the time I had Alicia, which was Isaiah's sister. And I'm sitting there driving, and all of a sudden, Camden, all of a sudden, my car began to spin. My cruiser begins to spin, and, and as I'm spinning, I can see a big, giant truck coming behind me. And you know what happened? Out of the blue, I hear this little, ba this little voice behind me. I hear Alicia, Isaiah's sister, scream, Jesus! She screams, Jesus, she calls upon his name. And all of a sudden, I remember my car just went, and it stopped right then and there. It wasn't because I called on him, but it was because of the one of the children who had been baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost behind me who, who knew about Jesus Christ and said, that's my heavenly father. They called upon him. And God says, you know what? I hear you. Let me stop the car. I'm going to tell you, whatever you're going through, Whatever you're going through, your heavenly father hears you and sees you and knows exactly where you're at. And he knows how to help you get through your situations. I'm hastening, I'm closing. If I can have somebody come and play. There's always a place for you at the table. And when you're at, when you, where is the table? Where's the table? Where can the table be found, young person? I'm going to tell you, Jack. His table can be found in prayer, Colton. You can come to his table in prayer. Like I said, whether if you're at school, at work, Lily, doesn't matter. You can always come to his table in prayer. And there's always a spot open for you. He will always, Sister Oliver, have a spot waiting for you to come and sit down. Noah, God's always got a spot waiting for you. PJ, God's always got a spot waiting just for you. Right next to him, but we can all stand. I want to tell somebody tonight. Whether you, maybe you've been coming here to Calvary Tabernacle 
for a bit, or maybe you've been coming here for years. But we know how it goes sometimes. We haven't been at this table in prayer for a bit. Maybe you're new, and this is your first week or your first day. You've never been to his table at all. I want to tell you there's peace always at his table. There's always, how can I say, your identity is always at the table. It's always spread, spread and waiting for you. I close with this. Mephibosheth lived a good eight or nine years of his life in Lodabar. Roy, stand up. He lived his life in Lodabar for eight or nine years. And he suffered, and the scripture doesn't really go into detail what his life was like. But I imagine being in Lodabar, it was dry. No hope. Because when you look around there, you probably had no family around who can help him. No resources that could help him. But one day, the king speaks. And the king calls for him. When the king calls, Mephibosheth had a decision he had to make. Was he going to stay back in Lodabar? Was he going to hold on to his past? Was he going to hold on to his hurt? Was he going to hold on to all those weights that held him down in life? Or was he going to choose to go to the king's table in Jerusalem. If you begin to look up what the word Jerusalem means, I'll tell you. It's, it's called founded peace. Mephibosheth had to make a decision whether he realized the, end, the ending or not. Am I going to stay in my mess? Or am I going to go to the king's table in prayer in Jerusalem and find founded peace? I want to tell somebody tonight, I don't know where you're at in your walk with God, but you have a decision to make. You have a decision to make. Are you going to stay back in Lodabar and hold on to who, who forgot about you and hold on to all the pains and hold on to what people said about you, all those things? Are you going to say, you know, I'm going to forget those things, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching for those things which are before me? I Press towards the mark of the prize. Of the... Do you know this? You don't ever reach for something that's not in arm's, arm's reach. I want to tell you the peace that God wants to give somebody in this room. That the, the, you, You've been fighting your past for a long time. But I'm going to tell you, God's got something waiting for you. He's got peace, and it's at an arm's length away. 
But what you have to do tonight is you can't, you can't have two things in your hand. You can't hold on to hurt and, you know, and also at the same time have peace. You got to choose one or the other. I don't know about you tonight. I got to let go of hurt. I've got to let go of load upon. And I want to choose peace tonight. Amen. I want to let go of my past. I want to let go of everybody who dropped me and say, you know what? I choose the king's table. Everybody, why don't we lift our hands tonight all over this room?